All right. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast. As always, I'm your host, Bailey Eichbrett, and joined with me is the captain seemingly in a sauna, Mr. Andy Full. What's going on, buddy? Sweltering day on the water. It's all I'm going to say, sweltering. And I feel like it's carried over into the upstairs of my house. Just He does rise, my friend. I can feel it like dripping off my mustache. It's pretty That's... gross. <laughs> Good God. We did not need that description. <laughs> Sweaty. Uh, but it's, it feels like it's been a while since we gotten you on, uh, since the two of us have been on. Yeah, yeah it's been a couple weeks because you were gone and then I was gone and, you know, all yeah, kinds for of the, For the folks, how was, the, how was your Florida trip? Um, Florida was warm. <laughs> Like ninety and sunny <laughs> every day, but was it like sweltering? It, it was sweltering. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> um, got a nice tan. Didn't get burned. Came back. Got right on the water with you. That was pretty fun. After our plane got hit by lightning on the way home, that was yeah. pretty exciting. Um, had, survivor. Yes, a survivor. Which <laughs> daily random fact: uh, plane a day gets hit around the world with lightning, so they don't crash all too much. So that's good. Um, but no, it was fun. Glad to be home. Glad to be back on the lake, except for the fish have gone into a weird funk and I think they're getting ready to mate and get up on beds, even though the water is like ice cold. So it's it's weird. Like the two and three pound males that I'm catching in the river are peeing. So yeah, it's like, what the heck? Doing the (laughs) The water's 46 degrees. You're not supposed to be doing this yet. (laughs) So you're saying bass fishing is getting R-rated already? Yeah, I think in the coming days it will be R-rated big time. Yeah. It sounds like you had a fun day with our our buddy old Brandon Lewis. Yeah, he he stuck it out. Tough morning, but then we got into a really fun largemouth bite that not too many people get to experience on Lake Erie. There's like a two-week window. It's really good. So hope to get in there and do it again in the next couple days. Yeah, sounds like he got to see the uh, the goods that I think will be very rare occasion if you take any other clients. There. Yeah, not not many people are going to go back there. It's it's not an easy place to fish, so it's but it's fun. Yeah, I think I banged is you my drove boat. all the way to St. Clair by Garrett and went to the backwaters of St. Clair. Is what you're saying? Pretty much, I went over <laughs> the Fort Erie Bridge and down the QEW and yep, launched over in Canada. You know. Yeah, and now I'm back here just in time. (laughs) Well, perfect. Just in time for Tuesday Night Live with one of our good buddies. We're getting back on the show. I think it's like Garrett's third or fourth time on the show. And uh, tonight we're talking about a topic that I personally love because I love the post bond because at the time where those fish really start getting offshore heavy and that's where, you know, electronics play into it. And that's where, you know, it's, I personally love fishing the most is when they're offshore and they're just firing because they're coming off the bed. They're hungry and they eat everything in front of their face, especially like that first week or two. And uh, our buddy, Mr. Garrett Paquette is really good. I think at finding him post bond. he's really good with electronics. I am fast. I am obsessed with his Instagram screenshots of his graph. Uh, we'll get into that in a second here. I'm sure we've talked about it before, but I think without further ado, we need to bring him on here. Mr. Garrett Paquette, what's going on, buddy? Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Glad to be back. Welcome. Yeah, I think this is my third time. Uh, before we say anything, 
I'm going to lose my train of thought, Andrew. I was out on St. Clair today on an epic swim bait bite for the first three hours, and the fish literally cut off and did exactly what you said. They're thinking about spawning. They're not spawning, yeah. but they're in that yeah. phase where you cannot get them to bite, and I absolutely hate it, and I don't want to go fishing tomorrow, but I have yeah. to. So here I am. Well, yeah, I feel your pain. It, it's kind of wild. Like last Monday, we had an epic swim bait jerkbait bite, and I left for Florida. And I come home, and me and Bailey go fish a mud hole and catch them on spinnerbaits and largemouth. I'm like, oh, that was fun for a couple hours. Then I took Sunday off because of Mother's Day, and I get out, and I'm like, oh, we're going to smash in the water temple. He went up one degree, throwing swim baits the first hour, never got bumped. I'm like, what the heck? And we had to go real slow and load net rigs, tubes, mm-hmm. and just, like, dragging it like you're going to fall asleep until you just feel that so soft. I'm like, oh, God, they're getting ready to do the dirty. And I caught yeah. the first male, and it was peeing everywhere. And I'm like, this is stupid. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I, I truly think it, uh, it's funny we're talking about post-spawn fishing, because when I was young and I read books about bass fishing, everyone always talked about how much they hated the post-spawn. It was the worst time of the year to fish, whatever. And I think with technology now, we've kind of, you know, learned a lot you know, learned a lot of techniques and a lot of ways to find these fish and catch them. And I think, you know, Bailey, you said it's your favorite time to fish. It's one of my favorite times, probably my favorite time as well. Um, But I think the time right when they're about to spawn, um, when they're thinking about it, to me, it is absolutely the worst uh, time to fish. I either run, you know, there's either two things for me to do and it's not to stay in that area. I'm either going for warmer water for fish that are spawning or I'm going for colder water for fish that are more in the pre-spawn. I will leave that area uh, instantly once I realize that's going on. Cause I, uh, I'm not saying you won't catch a fish here and there, but your chances are so slim. I, it, to me, it's worth running across the lake to try to find someone different. It's just, it, mm-hmm. they're the hardest fish to catch. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah, I agree. I'd find like that first place that's going to have spawners and just go looking for them, get up and start trying to look at them instead of, you know, play around with them in that pre-spawn phase where they're just being weird. Yeah. And you'll be the biggest fish in the lake, but they won't yeah. bite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You'll, you'll see them like they're there and they just won't touch anything and it'll confuse the hit the heck out of you. And I guess it's like, if you don't have a tournament, it's probably a good time to really start getting weird with them and just trying some wacky stuff that no one else mm-hmm. is doing. But do you find that with more with, with small mouth than large mouth? That's questions to uh, either of you guys. Cause like I for that, I, no, I think it's uh like, I think it's a little easier with small mouth cause they're aggressive, a more aggressive fish by nature. But like I said, if I'm in that situation and I can see like smallmouth, smallmouth is not as visual, right? Largemouth, like when this is happening, they're on the bank. You can look around like there's four and five pounders everywhere. Why aren't they biting? You know, the water's in the 60s. The smallmouth, it's tricky because it happens and you don't see it. You kind of just have to feel for it. Or like, you know, like you said, you caught one peeing. Like that was kind of your tip that like that's happening. Um, For me, the smallmouth is tricky because you don't see it. Um, But in both cases, like, like I said, I am I am super against trying to fish uh, in that phase unless you have just a little tiny lake where the water temp is the same throughout and every single fish is doing the same thing. I am moving and I'm looking for a fish that are either earlier in the stage or they've already locked onto beds and I can catch them that way. But I'm out if, if it is happening and, and every fish seems to be doing that. You know, for me, it's finesse fishing. Uh, like maybe it's wacky Cinco or I'll even go later than that. You know, I'll go super small worms, wacky rigs, stuff like that. Really light line, just something to try to get a bite. But it's, you just got to be prepared that it's going to be a, a really tricky time to catch fish. Mm-hmm. 
So before we get into the chunk of today's show of like fallen fish off the bed, you know, that where Andy and Garrett, what we're going to experience here in probably like three to four weeks mm-hmm. you know, heavily, um, you know, following these fish off the bed into that full blown post spawn phase. Before we get into that, our buddy, Mr. Tyler Berger sent me a text this morning because he saw you uh-huh. coming on the show and he told me to ask you to tell us about your co-angler story <laughs> of either he was puking or going bathroom off your boat. Okay, okay. <clears throat> I might have to tell a shortened version because the long one takes too long. And it's funny. I just, I was actually out there with the owners of Big Bite today on St. Clair and I told the story and it's, it's good every time. So anyways, <laughs> uh, I don't want to get into a lot of details because I don't want to give away an identity. <clears throat> I was in a ledge tournament back in the day, uh, running KBD's old boat, super beat up. You know, there's wires everywhere when it runs fast. And uh, we were in this ledge tournament. I obviously you're racing to spots and we couldn't get to any spot. Finally got on a spot, started fishing. Uh, it was just kind of like a weird day. Like there was a bunch of Asian carp in the area and he was literally fishing for him with a top water. And I was fishing a football jig and I had 20 pounds and he didn't have a bite. Um, and I tell him, I'm like, Hey man, let's, uh, let's run back. We're like 30 miles away. I got a spot like 10 minutes from the ramp. Uh, I want to fish it for like 10 minutes and we'll run in early. I got a good bag. He's like, all right, cool. So we run back. I get to the spot, jump up on the front deck. He jumps up on the back deck really quick. I'm like, yeah, this guy's excited to fish. Like we got 10 minutes. Hopefully he gets one. I take a cast of there with crankbait, burn my crankbait in. I look behind me and he's sitting there in his boxers, just his boxers. And I'm like, How can he? I'm like, what's going on? He's like, I did. I had an accident. And I'm like, huh? And I look on the back deck. I thought he puked over the whole back deck because it was covered and it wasn't puke it was the other thing you could do to have an accident so this happens and i'm like i'm still in tournament mode so i'm like all right like i just gotta keep fishing just hey we got 10 minutes we'll figure it out so i throw back my i throw my crankbait back out there again i'm reeling it reeling it reeling it post spawn fish by the way follow him over we'll talk to it talk about in five minutes i'm burning my crankbait back out or burning it in one bites it i hook him He's like, you need the net? And I'm like, no, dude, please just stay back there. It jumps. <laughs> stay back. And it jumps, and it's like a four-pounder. I'm like, actually, you know what? If you could net this fish, this is going to help me out. So I'm like, I'm focused on the fish. I'm reeling it in. I get close, and I, like, I kind of feel him next to me. I look over. He is completely naked with the net in his hands. <laughs> <laughs> I, I swear to you. This is a true story. Shooting the net. That's nets the fish. Puts it in, gets it in. I'm in the back, like literally like this in the live well, like trying to call, you know, get up my small. Obviously, the back deck is destroyed <laughs> at this point. Oh, God. Throwing back my small fish, throwing the bigger one, and uh, Yikes. get all that done. And not, now at this point, like my mind is, I'm I'm out of it at this point. But he oh, sat there God. for 10 minutes, uh, which is actually really good. He put his boxers in the water and clean off the back deck, put it in and clean off the back deck. And literally, we were in the main channel doing like 80 boats. Uh, in this tournament, ran like within a hundred yards of us and and saw the whole thing. So it was just unbelievable. And there's so much more to the story, but that that's a short version. Uh, yeah, it's like it was such a surreal day, and like it's crazy that it happened to me because like I it just is like a part of my life. But when I tell that story, I realize like you literally will never beat that as a co-angler story. Like that's that's king. So a new meaning to the book deck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Props to yeah, him for still netting your fish. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I mean, he dude, he handled it well. He's like, it's like he's been there fifteen times. Like, you know, 
let's just go on with the day and and catch fish and that's what we did so it was uh yeah it was funny now i'm intrigued about the long form of the story like yeah the long form but we probably shouldn't do it over uh internet because people can stuff in the computer yeah nobody needs that going around i wouldn't want that going around about me gosh poor dude i mean yeah Hopefully he's all right. Yeah, no, he's like, you know, it's funny. We're actually, we actually talk every now and then, so it's all good. It was just a weird <laughs> day. <laughs> At least he cleaned it up. Mm. Would you let him out Somewhat. on your boat again is the question. <laughs> Would I let him on my boat again? Um, I'm not going to answer that. Yeah. Would you <laughs> let him on your boat again? <laughs> I'd make my best judgment in the morning. <laughs> oh, gosh, that's funny. All right, co-angler stories aside, let's start getting into today's show. Thank you to Ty for texting me to ask that. It sounded like it was a funny story, but I didn't realize the the weight that that story carried. <laughs> Literally, um, like we're gonna have to do a podcast about the story, an hour block for the story. Maybe gosh. we'll do that next month or something. Oh, Maybe we'll have to set something up like that. Maybe that's a episode three hundred. We get you on to talk about it. We can do that. All right, all right. Because like, if I give away all the details, it's it's a hundred times better. So I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> all, right. all right, so yeah, rated, you know, mark your yeah, calendar yeah. episode three hundred. We're getting you out okay. to talk about that story. All right, deal. All right, so talking post spawn, you know, when fish are really heavily leaving the bed, and we we all know there's certain areas that'll have spawners longer than others. Basically, mm-hmm. what we're trying to do, we're talking, we're, we're talking. You know, the majority of the time when the majority of the fish leave, we're not talking, you know, the exceptions where some fish hang around longer than others. So when spawn is happening, you're starting to see some fish leave the bed. Beds are starting to get deserted. You know, you're up shallow looking for them, you know, visually. Right. And you're realizing that's not the deal. What is your first move that you make? Yeah. So and I'll say you kind of like messed up what I was going to say by saying we're talking about the majority of fish because like so i want to go over this real quick because the this is what's cool about the post spawn period um yes a lot of the fish are going to be going towards the main lake or if your body of water has it current current is number one and in a reservoir the most current is always in the main river in the main river channel that's why the fish you know they start migrating towards those ledges um in lake st Clair, it might be where the river channel dumps in you know, every system's a little different, but if you have current, fish are going to go to current after they spawn. Now, in a natural lake, of course, you know, we might not have current, um, and we'll talk about that, but remember that fish are going towards current. Um, but the post-spawn is interesting because there's a lot of fish moving deep, yes, towards their summering holes, but there's a lot of fish that get caught up on bait fish uh, spawns. You know, you have the bluegill spawn that's going to happen right after. You have the shad spawn, herring spawn. Uh, if your lake has, or if your lakes have those bait fish, and that's something to always look out for. Like don't, uh, like the shed and the herring thing. It, obviously, like if you guys don't know, it happens at night or in low light conditions, and it's kind of, you know, it's it's like hit or miss. Like you can't go out there and be like, I'm gonna find a shad spawn. I'm going to this marina and I'm gonna find it. Like it's something that you just kind of stumble upon. Um, but if you come across it, like it's something to have in your arsenal. I think in the post spawn. Um, like that's an easy way to catch a bunch of fish quick. They're, they're feeding, they're aggressive. That's something you want to look for. And the same thing with the bluegill spawn. To me, the bluegill spawn is even better because it happens all day and it actually probably gets better, you know, as the sun gets up and things get hot. So like you don't, 
miss out on anything. You have a, you have a lot of opportunity to catch fish off those. Um, that's, those are things to, you know, look for during this, during this time. Not that that's going to be your whole day. I mean, you could have a day where you're running just bluegill beds. Um, but it's just a way to, you know, to catch a couple fish throughout your day. Or if you're going and trying to fish like deep brush piles, it's like, eh, it's not really working. Go up there, you know, fish a stretch of bluegill beds, catch one or two, go back offshore. Like the post spawn kind of gets like that where you, you're going to have to kind of mix it up and, you know, kind of get back to what I was saying. If you've watched tournaments in this time of year, elite tournaments, major league fishing, if you look at the top 10, there'll be like eight or nine different presentations used for those mm -hmm. 10 anglers. Like it, it is, it is wide open across the board. Um, and it, and it's neat. Cause like, it's the time of the year where if you find something, I feel like you have a chance to have it more to yourself. Like, you know, I've had some really good early post-spawn tournaments fishing offshore because there was fish still spawning. Guys had them going like crazy on a frog. Guys had them on a shad spawn. And it just it just spreads everybody out. It's not one of those summer tournaments where or those or a pre-spawn tournament where guys are like, I have to do this. And you got a hundred guys on the water or whatever. If you're on a lake with five hundred recreational fishermen, not everyone is clued in on let's do this, let's do this, that's where the fish are it's a time of year where, you know, 10% of the fish are doing this, 20% are doing this, 30% is doing this. And it's just, it's a good time to fish. I mean, the fish aren't as pressured, not saying like there's not as many guys out there fishing, but that section of fish or that phase of fish you're going for, it's probably the least pressured it's going to be all season, unless your legs freeze like ours do and no one's fishing for them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a, that's probably the, the most fun part is, you can do, you know, 200 different things throughout mm -hmm. the day. Like, and that post bond bite is like, you get on the water at sunrise, you will catch them as good as you caught. Like there's no defining hour. I mean, sure. A shad spawn could be fun, but you can catch them straight from sunrise to sunset during those, that time. For sure. For sure. And I'm like, you know, that's like your textbook time to throw top waters. It's mm -hmm. not, it, you don't have to get out there and throw it in the first, 30 minutes and put it down like they will bite it all day long whatever you're going to do for that day it usually happens all day long so yeah it's it's a uh, you know like we were saying i mean it, it's a super great time to be out there and you know good time well, to go fish in the boat that top water bite especially when they're right off the bed and it's like kind of that phase where your grass is starting to grow pretty good too like those first clumps like right outside of that spawning area you can like it doesn't matter if it's like the complete opposite of what your quote unquote textbook topwater, you know, condition should be. It could be glass calm and sunny and it's noon. So it's literally sun's right above you. They will cannonball those topwaters. It is oh, yeah. so much fun because you, especially in the clear water lakes, you can watch them coming from a mile away. Yeah. It and that is so, so cool. that, that, that's so perfect. You said that because I actually brought something to uh, speak specifically about that. And I want, and I'll, I'll, I'll preface this by saying I would never talk about this if I wasn't sponsored by Spro because I'd keep this beta secret from you guys because I'm like that. This is a Spro E Pop. It's an it's a new popper beta came out with last year, and it's and you know it's doesn't really look like a whole. Yeah, this is a, this is obviously a bluegill pattern up north. You know, bluegill is king, just translucent. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so no, this is the deal. Okay, so hang on to that. So these are my two favorite top waters, pretty much, or were. This is a little Rico popper. Uh-huh. You know, you guys are probably familiar with that. It's just a yeah, real, real quiet, subtle top water. 
And then this is the one knocker spook. This thing's famous. Everyone throws that super loud. So oh, yeah. Spro, and I don't think they meant to do this. They pretty what much made something. That this is a Spro EPOP 80. EPOP, okay. So I don't think they meant to do this, but they pretty much combined the two. You got the popper mouth, but it's almost like a supersized uh, popper, smaller than than the spook. But it has not quite a, a one knocker, but this is a extremely loud for a popping style bait. And uh, this thing in open water, like I will, I probably am not throwing this in six inches of water on a summer day, but in open water when you want to call something up to get bites, this pro popper is. It's truly been unbelievable. Like I've crushed them at Champlain and Oneida on it, back home um, for open water situations. And a lot of times, like post spawn, like slow is better. Um, that's why I like going with the popper style bait because it just it it makes me have to fish it slow. I'm still walking the bait, but I don't want the bait to just you know walk like crazy. I want it to be slow, you know, kind of just like you almost got to be more patient than the fish to get the bites. And that thing is absolutely killer. Um, that time of year, if you're fishing, if you're fishing, you know, in an area where you could throw a walking bait or a pop bar and it's, it's a little bit open and you got to call in a fish that, that bait has been money for me the last year and a half. Well, so that, that pattern you had on that EPOP, that is, a uh, that's something I've been pondering recently too. And I'm curious if you guys think it matters, but right in that post spawn, you know, typically those bluegills are making their way up there. If not, they're doing their thing kind of could cross over with bass but you know do you guys think it matters if you throw just like normal shad patterns around that or do you think it pays to be throwing you know bluegill pattern topwaters or just baits in general i i personally think it's kind of important to throw the bluegill like my two post bond poppers is a popping frog and killer gill spro mm -hmm. or that, an all black like yes. all black little <laughs> popper along a bluegill spawn because when those bluegill are spawning they're like black usually yeah. so i like a little black popper and that just seems to get better bites yeah that even color, bright sun yeah that color frog that you just held up garrett that is i think i own like 30 of those and then like two of white and two of black because i throw <laughs> yeah. that all year round like obviously not in the cold temps but like best frog ever you can best you can use it in dirty ever. water you can use it in clear water like i literally remember going to one of our lakes around here last year in New York when they just pulled up and they were on beds and there was a six pounder on bed, crystal clear water. And I just flipped that killer gill over on top of it just to see what it would do. And just comes up and it, it, it's, it's so much fun. Like I dropped that seven pounder. I dropped in Eufaula was in muddy water on that same color too. Was it? I, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I'm just a, go ahead, <laughs> no, you're good. I'm just a yeah. in that frog. <laughs> no, yeah. To answer the question, I, I think, um, you know, for the bluegill versus shad, to me, to me, it's always match the bait fish. So if it's, if I'm around shad, it's going to be the whites, you know, that pattern. If, I, if I'm on a bluegill, which we are up here a lot, it's bluegill. You know, one thing, and this isn't like a spro sales pitch. It's funny. You even brought this up uh, with a killer gill. Um, you know, to take it a step further, when you look at the mouth of these baits, I don't know what you can see here. Oh, yeah. They're orange. Mm -hmm. Um, and and I, whatever frog you guys like, obviously a lot of us like the Spro Poppin' Frog, but you might you may like a different brand, and that's fine. Cool. Try to have an orange or a chartreuse mouth. The difference of that versus your standard red, which I love a red mouth. Mm. Um, like a black frogs have red. A lot of you know a, a lot of frogs have a red mouth, 
But when you get around those bluegills, whether they're spawning or you're just in a lot of, you know, an area with a ton of them, the orange mouth or chartreuse mouth, if, if, if you know, the bait you're throwing has chartreuse, that makes a big difference I've seen. So I, I like, uh, yeah, the bluegill color is important, but the, the mouth of it to me, I mean, there's days where that makes a difference. So if, if you guys can get away from your typical red or white or black and throw the orange or chartreuse in those situations, you'll get more bites. It's just that the when bluegills swim off and they're scared, you know, they flash chartreuse, they flash orange. And I think that the frog and the popper, you know, show that to those fish and trigger bites. I've heard of some people, like, obviously you can't do this with, like, your black frogs, but, like, what they'll do with jerk baits, you know, putting a little bit of chartreuse dot or a red dot by the front treble that some people will do, Kind of like to your same point of talking about that mouth, but they'll put a like a little bit of like chartreuse marker or red marker right towards the mouth of like on the belly side of a frog to give fish like if they're staring at it for a little bit, something to key in on. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I, I don't do that personally, but I don't see why it would hurt. You know, I, I feel like when I'm working this bait, it's kind of rolling and rocking and it's probably dipping down. So I think it's getting that that idea. But yeah, if you want to throw, you know, chartreuse or orange dot on the bottom of your baits. It, it's not going to hurt in my opinion. Yeah. I, I, feel, I feel like that's also just us way overthinking bass and giving them way too much credit. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but no, I still like in some way or shape or form. I, you know, I try to get orange or chartreuse on your baits any yeah. way you can. That's a really good point. I've always seen like the color of the, the mouth, but I never really thought it played that much of a factor. If you think about it, it's one of Spro's only baits that has orange and you know, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's everyone's consensus favorites, but a lot of guys that have thrown that color are really high on it. Yeah, that is for sure. Yeah. Can't beat the oh. killer kill ever. <laughs> so obviously, you know, when fish get done spawning, like to your point, a lot of them like to either hang shallow, find the, you know, nearby lay yeah. downs. I, and, and don't even say a lot of them. Not, not even, not even a lot of them. The majority are, are going to move on to what we're going to talk, but just know mm-hmm. that these are options when you're out there. Cause some days you know, things are going to be tricky. There's more than one thing to do. There's, there's plenty of options uh, out there to catch them. Yeah. So you, you basically what you did is you just answer this question by, I don't stunt. What, what is the best way to fish open water without a fish finder, depth finder? And basically to you, what you just said is just let your, you know, get on the bank still, let your visual cues, t- uh, cues tell you where to find those fish. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, look for birds, look for pods of bluegill, they'll scatter. Uh, you know, I'm sure you guys have seen it when it's really calm and like a bird flies over, you'll see a bunch of scatter and stuff on the surface. Um, mm-hmm. just, just look for any presence where there's bait fish. I yeah. mean, their, nature gives out so many clues and it's something that I used to be terrible at. I was always just like head down and fishing and I've opened my eyes the last year and a half and I'm like, wow, you can learn so much from just literally looking around here, looking at the water looking at the birds, you know, which way the wind's blowing, all that stuff makes a big difference. That's one thing I've been trying to force myself to keep doing now that I have forward facing sonar is to not get sucked into that. Mm-hmm. And it's and hard to do. Oh yeah. And you get a lot of people that just get, they get too lost into it and kind of forget some different things. But um, for the fish that do move offshore, you know, obviously, you know, there's electronics involved, but you know, fisherman's intuition, what's the, you know, gut feeling, you know, what's the first place you're going to start looking? Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to try to figure out, of course, where they were spawning. 
Um, and generally the biggest flat in the lake is a great place to start looking the biggest creeks in the lake, you know, something big where, you know, there's going to be a population of fish. You don't want to run up a little tiny trickle or a little tiny flat. I mean, not saying they're not going to be there, but get yourself in a big area where, you know, for sure there's fish. And, uh, for me, I'm, I'm working my way out. So I'm going to start as close to where I think they're going to spawn, um, that I can, like if it's, if it's a big long Creek, I'm going to go to like a little pocket off of it or, or a branch off of it. If it's a big giant flat on an actual lake, I'm getting right there and I'm looking at my electronics. I'm starting to scan in that area. Um, and I'm looking for fish or a structure at this point. So it could be, there could be brush piles in the area, rock piles, um, grass lines, depending on what your lake has, or in the ideal situation, you start marking the fish. If the bottom's clean, I mean, the fish bass are, I mean, all fish show up on, on the sonar, on side imaging and down imaging nowadays. Um, and I'm just working. So I'll start right there. And if I'm not seeing them um, or not seeing any kind of sign of life or marketing, I'm just getting closer and closer towards what I talked about earlier, which is your source of current or the main, you know, the main basin of the lake where I think they're going to be in the summer. And you're going to run into something between where they spawn and, and where that end, you know, that end goal for those fish is going to be. It might be, you know, that it might just be, it might be 10 yards outside of where they spawn, or it might be 10 yards from where they're going to summer, but they're going to be on that path somewhere. You just got to get in there and, and just put in the work and, and follow that track out. And it's, and it's not easy. I mean, it's hard to predict where an animal is going to move, but that's, right. that's just, you just have to do it. I mean, you got to put your nose down and, and go, but Andy, yeah. So it, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, yeah. So for me, you know, for me, it's electronics heavy. I'm marking, uh, I'm looking for fish. And I'm marking potential things on where I think they could sit. And if I, if there's any, I, or if I have any, you know, I don't want to say doubt, whatever I'm looking for, I guess any, um, feeling that there could be a fish. Like if I mark something, mm -hmm. I'm turning around and I'm fishing it. I mean, you know, I'm sampling a lot of stuff, even if I'm not seeing the fish, I'm going to stand up hundreds of times throughout the day and fish that structure, fish that structure and try to get that hint. And then usually once you catch one or two, you know, you can turn it into, five, 10, 15, 30 spots in a day. Cause then you know what to look for after that. Yeah. And it could definitely be a channel. I th while we say it's, you know, a really fun time of year, you know, when you get them coming right off the bed, it can be pretty challenging because you can find them and it can even be a matter of hours where you'll be straight on them for two, three hours. And then it com you're completely lost and it's because they're moving and you're still staying put. And it could be a really hard, like, you know, basically a week or two of just train hard transition of these fish moving. Where it can get kind of confusing, but I think as long as you're able to put the the pieces together in terms of looking at a map or just kind of using your visual cues where they could go, you could you can find, especially if you have the means to like yourself where you have the graphs and such to keep up with them. But Andy, how yeah. does that how does that differ for you with smallmouth? Oh, smallmouth are they're almost like a completely different animal. So like in the Great Lakes situation, you have big spawning flats where they'll be. And a lot of times those spawning flats dump immediately into deep water, especially where I'm at. <laughs> so they will go from four feet of water to 40 foot of water in literally like a day and a half at times. And then we have some fish that stay shallow and current. And there's two different fish. Like we have main lake fish and then we have river lake fish at the mouth of Lake Erie where those fish will stay more dependent to current in the post spawn, but the main lake fish just get right out deep and they get 
almost right in the summer pattern, it seems like a lot of times over here because we have so much main lake current. But that, it's virtually the same. You have to find the flat and then just kind of work your way out to the fish. The, mm-hmm. the patterns essentially work the same. It's just you're chasing largemouth or smallmouth, and yeah. it's all generally related to the body of water you're on. Exactly. You plug in that pattern into your body of water. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll kind of bridge you in the middle because I know you're fishing, like you're saying, you're 4 to 40. Um, here I'm on St. Clair. You have to go uh, two miles to go down one foot, right? It's really flat. So those fish are spawning and they, they're they moving out towards the main lake. But what's happening is they don't, they can't just get there in, in 10 feet. So they got to spend miles and miles and they're stopping on little isolated things along the way, whether it be a boulder, uh, a grass patch, a log, you know, just something to kind of rest for a little bit and keep on moving. That's what I'm looking for in the post spawn. And I'll say one thing, and it goes for largemouth too, and we should have talked about it earlier. This time of year, shade can be extremely important. Like you can get on a pattern of just running shade lines, uh, fishing docks like that. For smallmouth, it's kind of an underrated thing. Like, and maybe we just don't think about it as that, but like uh, cabbage that time of year, which is a really tall grass, it'll grow 10, 10 12 feet mm-hmm. tall. That's to me, if I can find that in the post spawn, that's the number one type of vegetation smallmouth get on. And I, yeah, it's cover for them, but I really think it's the shade from the tall, tall plant um, that they just, they just like getting in that shade. So, you know, always think shade, 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 if you can as well. And, and with smallmouth, you know, not just largemouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's funny that you say that, like sitting back and rethinking post-spawn and how it happens here at the mouth of like the Niagara River in Buffalo, we do have an insane spawning flat that they spawn on and it'll go from like no grass on it at all at the beginning of June to the fourth week of June. It's all cabbage flat and like flatted out and you can catch them there through the second week of July and like six foot of water. But there's like two to four mile an hour current washing over top of it as well. Okay. So it does make sense. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, you'll notice a lot, a lot of times when they're sitting in that, they're not sitting on the bottom. They're kind of like hovering in the grass. Mm-hmm. And I think they just want something over their eyes. You know, bass don't have eyelids. Uh, yeah. So they want, they want to put something right here. So they're not having the have the sun on their face all day. Right. Yeah. And this, this conversation here, Joe made the point. It's very percentage triangle type talk and, this is more because Joe is a fanatic of Mr. Brandon Polinick and his whole triangle theory, but it's it's true and it can definitely be efficient. Um, <clears throat> one thing that I tried doing last year, and it might honestly sound crazy, so feel free to call me crazy. Um, but what I do is when I think that they're getting off, when I know that they're off the bed and starting to move post-spawn, I will go back to where I found them spawning and literally you know, looking at a map and also visual cues will look out towards the lake and try to almost picture like a topographic, like almost visually, like in 3D, in like in my head, it might, it sounds crazy when I say that, but you kind of use it as like, where's the first stopping place for me to go? And that almost gives you just kind of a green light to uh, say, hey, step one, check here. It can almost start start giving you breadcrumbs of where they're going to be. It helped me last year find them post-spawn really fast. I mean, that might be kind of crazy to think about trying to picture your topographic up and where they might go first, but kind of trying to put some picture to simple-minded folks like me that like, you know, books with pictures versus words. Hey, I'm not going to argue your success the last year, so I'm all for it. 
I don't know. I haven't had a lot of success. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't. Yeah, we won't get into that. <laughs> um. So the the difference between it, I think this conversation could be completely different because. Not I shouldn't say different, but can change when we talk of smallmouth versus largemouth because largemouth are not going to go nearly as far as a smallmouth would. Um, now, I know certain lakes, they can move much further, but majority of the time, a largemouth is not going to go that far. Mm-mm. Its whole life could be within, what, two miles? If that. It, it, I mean, if that, it could be in one canal. <laughs> True. Yeah. So, I mean... Talking largemouth, though, you know, to kind of a, to put it in the realm of the entire country because not everyone has smallmouth. When you're starting to put these things together, right, post spawn, these fish are moving around, and you can't find them, you know, because it can be a it can be a tricky time of year. What are kind of like some of the you know the quote unquote going back to basics? What are the, the first things you're doing? Like, what are some search baits that you use too, just to try to get one just to say hello? You know, just to give you some sort of clue. Yeah. Um, and I mean, yeah, it's a fun thing to throw, but like this time of year, honestly, I'm throwing a lot of top water. Uh, I can cover water with it. It draws the fish out further than like I think a jig would. Like you're gonna get a fish to travel and bite more. Um, and it's just it's just something that triggers them that time of year. So I'm I'm going with that. But like if I if I'm really, really struggling, I am you know, I'm gonna kinda go towards and it and it's yeah, this time of year, it's, you know, it works, but it's kind of an all, all type of year thing. I'm going to obvious cover. Um, I'm going to go fish like docks, bridges, riprap, stuff like that. And typically I'm going to downsize a little bit, you know, I'm going like wacky stick baits, shaky head drop shot, something to get bites. Um, someone to tell me there's fish in the area. And then once I locate some bass, you know, maybe then I'll upsize back. If they're not the size that I want to catch, maybe then I'll upsize, go to like a swim bait. Uh, crankbait, you know, chatterbait, something like that to try to catch those bigger ones. But, you know, it's important. Uh, I mean, you got to get around fish, get around bass. Right. And generally with a spinning rod and obvious structure, you give yourself a good opportunity to get bites if you're around a population of some sort. Mm-hmm. I think what's kind of crazy to see is now that we have forward facing sonar, is that like when you're in that post-spawn phase and say you go to a nearby, you know, wherever that first stretch of milfoil is or a rock pile or docks and you can't find them on any of them, but you pan over into the middle of the abyss with forward-facing sonar and they're just swimming around minding their own business. It kind of gives you almost a peace of mind that you're not as crazy or maybe not as bad as you think that the fish do tend, even largemouth will get up and suspend and random stuff. I think even more so after they spawn. Mm-hmm. It's kind of crazy to see that. Like you'll have, you'll be fishing with a buddy and you know, you're fishing the obvious, you're fishing target related stuff. And to your right is like the middle of the lake, but there's nothing out there. He'll bomb a wacky rig and just hook up to one randomly. And it'll be mm-hmm. like three seconds. So, you know, it's subsurface and it's just kind of, it's kind of crazy. I mean, it's one of those situations. It's hard to, unless you have the technology, it's hard to stay on them. It is. Oh. Yeah. I mean, it's that's, so and, and, the, and the harder part is a lot of times, like, you will get bites doing that, but, you know, realistically, a fish drifting around and suspending is probably, you know, going to be really hard to be catchable. Um, and those, like, not to say, like, you should totally avoid those, but 
just because you're seeing them out there, you still probably want to fish for fish that are set up on a, on a grass bed. Cause you know that that fish is in there probably to feed and ambush or under a dock or something like that. So you kind of gotta, like, it's okay to know they're out there, but if you can't get them to bite, don't burn a whole day, you know, going after those, still try to, still try to fish in those, in those feeding zones. Cause that's obviously the fish we want to target. Yeah. You end up chasing ghosts as Andy the, likes to yeah. call it. Yeah, it, it is. Oh, they're not even ghosts ghost. anymore. You can see them down there. <laughs> they're, they're real. They just aren't bugging. Fair enough. No, it, it, it's crazy with largemouth. Like, one of the biggest things I do is, and people don't, I don't know how people feel about stuff, but I try to find fry garters. Like, if you can find bass that are guarding fried, they're probably going to eat. And the easiest way for me to do that is to burn a buzz bait, just cover as much water as I can near that spawning flat to main lake points. And it's always the obvious docks near that main lake point where you get bit because that's where the surplus of fry are. Wherever there's wind-driven current, whatever, they're fish. They move to that stuff. And I find that's where you get some of your biggest bites too. And it, it always seems to be on a black or white buzz bait for me post-spawn, always. Hmm. One thing I like to do to figure out if they're shallow too especially if you have clear waters and it's not really any intention. We've talked about this before, but like not any intention on catching them, right. Is just throwing a big glide bait just to see if fish are actually there. Like there's so many yeah. times you can go down a bank there where you don't see any fish, but there might be grass or boulder or something. You throw a big uh, glide bait and they all automatically just magically appear like out of nowhere. And you're like, Oh, there is fish here. I just suck. I can't catch it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just kind of, one of those, which actually, which we learned from Milliken when we had him on, is he can even do that same, you know, that same concept over deeper water if it's clear, uh, with forward-facing sonar. Is you oh, might yeah. not be catching them, but let them rise up, and you're like, oh, okay, they are here. Because there's there's definitely times. I mean, Garrett, you could definitely touch on it where, you know, forward-facing sonar, you think there's nothing on the bottom, and you just throw a bait, and for some, they just rise out of the bottom as if they came from underground oh definitely like i mean the technology is amazing but and i would say you know probably more so when it's colder you it, it, it is not a show all like it's it's not like you're going to see everything like i i, I was literally i've been on saint Clair, you know a lot the last couple of weeks i had a day where i caught 130 uh i don't know four or five days ago i saw three fish on forward sonar all day. Not, I mean, once we caught one, like, of course, you see them coming in. Right. But I saw literally three fish running around, and I would just, you know, I, I'd see some rock piles, and I'd throw it in there, and there'd be 15 fish sitting in there, but they sit so tight that you can't see them. So you can't just get, you know, it's an awesome tool, but you cannot just, like, ignore things that you aren't seeing with it. So it's not going to show 100% everything. It's just not. There's a lot of fish that, you won't see with side imaging. You won't see with down imaging, forward sonar. You just have to still, you know, do it the old school and throw your bait out there and try to catch them. I mean, it is what it is. I, there are simple things you can do, though, with like 2D, at least because I run Lowrance, unfortunately, on my boat. and I know Bailey kind of gets on me at first sometimes, but I can zoom in seven times on 2D and down imaging. And when I'm on Lake Erie in 40 foot of water, I can just zoom Get in like the bottom seven feet. And I can tell the difference between bottom fish and a rock because you'll get like that little sliver and little red and blue. And I'm like, that's fish. And you can usually Smart. catch it that way. And it's just something that you can add into your um, arsenal with the electronics. I don't think 
you can't do that with Helix, but you can zoom in really close with Solix's, correct? Mm -hmm. So that would be another way to like amplify your sonar settings is to zoom in very closely to in, in your 2D and down imaging to see those deeper fish if they're laying on the bottom. Yeah, I think that Apparently. is what? No, just saying you get on me about running Lorance. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah, as, as I'm going to. No, no, it's <laughs> I think that doing that is important is can be really good, especially in the colder temps. But I think like now and like after, especially post spawn, right? You probably don't want to be running that 2D so zoomed in because like you've done it before, Andy, on the Great Lakes where you're in 40 foot of water. And you drop on one that's sitting 35 feet up and it follows yeah. you all the way down to the bottom, but you never would have seen it if you were zoomed in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah interesting. I, I agree. But like there are certain situations post spawn, like right yeah. after the post spawn where they get out there and they just lay right back in that bottom again because it's the most shady spot for them. So, like, I'll give a little tidbit away. Out here in eastern end of Lake Erie, we have a ton of sand flats and the smallies will literally sit in the waves of the sand. And if you have your 2D on, like zoomed out, you can't see them. But if you zoom in as you go over the riffles, you'll actually see them sitting in the divots in the sand. You're like, oh, yeah, that's, that's, pretty that's cool. a fish. Yeah. So. Apparently, we have, a, <laughs> we have a comment here from Jonathan that says, Garrett, you and I look alike. <laughs> I'm going to take that as an insult. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Especially at the smolder that everybody yeah, you, should, you should probably take that as an insult with my Amish beard I have right now that I That's really fun. need to get rid of. Uh, we have a comment here from Ryan Hartman that says, Andy, get that Mega 360 and it'll change your life on Erie. He is not lying. I've been telling him. I, been I, telling do, him. I do want to get I do want to get 360. I do love my Lorance stuff too. Like if I could have the optimal setup. I would have two HDS lives and probably a Solix 10 or 12 running 360 that I could switch back from 360 and live. Or, or here's a better solution. You go all Solixes, so you start seeing all the boulders you can't see with Lorance, and you can have 360 and live on the front. <laughs> Maybe on the next boat. He has nothing to come back with. <laughs> Garrett's just sitting back there like yeah. I'm not gonna comment. You know, you know what I could say, Bailey? If you buy them for me, I'll put them on, on my boat, okay? Like I don't have all the money in the world. Yeah, I don't have money either, buddy. I got a truck exactly. now. Yeah. You got a big boy, big boy vehicle now. Something like that. <laughs> um, so here's kind of an interesting question. This stems off of uh, a comment here from Gio talking about uh bottom composition and so in the pre-spawn, like right now, people joke and they call it, you know, KVD season because everyone's catching fish everywhere in the lake, regardless of where you are, basically. Um, but in the post-spawn, it seems like there's definitely condensed areas where these fish are. You know, how much do you guys think that bottom composition plays into that? Or is it just a simple of the covers there and they have access to food? Like, I'm sure, obviously, there's different variables that play into it. But where do you think bottom composition plays into the post-spawn? I mean, if you have a lake where it changes a lot, I think it plays a ton. I think it always plays. Um, if I'm on like typically reservoirs, you got a lot of you got a lot of different changes. You got, you know, you have silty bottom areas, and you have like hard bottom points or a hard bottom bay, whatever it is. I, I'm 
always going to look for hard bottom. Bass just like hard bottom for the most part. Um, and same, you know, same thing goes for this time of year. So not saying it's a a hundred percent of the time they're going to be on the hard bottom stuff. But if I go, if I got a Creek and I know one side in is hard bottom and one side is soft bottom and they both have brush piles, I'm going to assume the hard bottom brush piles are going to hold the fish. Like that's statistically, those are your better chances to catch fish. Um, it just, it just always is fish bass are just naturally attracted to the harder bottom stuff. It's easier for them to feed off of. They don't have to stick their nose in the mud. If they're going to trap something down there, they like, they like that clean bottom. Especially, I think that's a, it's more of an emphasis when you're fishing grass too. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. I mean, the grass that they like for the most part, whether that's hydrilla or, uh, or milfoil, it doesn't usually grow in like nasty muck. It, it grows on like a sandy bottom or, or a, you know, a harder s- type of silt. I don't know the names of all the dirt, but mm-hmm. t- typically the bottom of the grass that fish live in are a little bit of a more firm bottom than the rest of the lake. Yeah, you said firm bottom. <laughs> Sorry. <I had> to. <laughs> Everybody yeah, likes yeah, a firm yeah. bottom if, can, <laughs> if, if, if it's available. That's right. If, Even a small if, mouth. Big, <laughs> big if there. <laughs> Andy, anything to add on that? Oh, I mean, vegetation and bottom. And I'm like, up to two years ago, I was terrible with it. Um, I couldn't tell coontail from milfoil. Now I think I have it pretty much dialed. But I mean, post spawn fish, when it comes to grass, up here, I feel like they relate to it less than we think they do, just because a lot of our lakes are so natural. And in smallmouth, we don't have all that much grass really to deal with, besides like the cabbage and the stringy eelgrass that we'll have in some of our rivers. But um, yeah, like, uh, do you guys it, get bitten cabbage? I hate cabbage. Only smallmouth. Oh, dude, you gotta start fishing cabbage. I hate cabbage. Like I try to. You gotta fish that. You gotta fish that cabbage edges, man. Biggest, biggest, biggest smallmouth in your early summer time. Cabbage edges, hard to catch. This is probably my problem because I I think my problem with cabbage is because I don't fish it much because I don't have a lot of it near me. But like Oneida's got some cabbage. Mm -hmm. I think the problem is I'm looking at cabbage like I look at milfoil where I look for the clumps that are condensed. Is that the problem? Is I'm fishing it like that versus fishing it like looking for the grasslands um, yeah like so cabbage you know generally with cabbage you're always going to find a hard edge um usually you know deeper edges are generally better but it could Mm -hmm. be a shallow edge but yeah you only just go down the down the line of cabbage and and you know fish like like we were talking about that you know i think they're there yeah it's cover for them but i think shade is a big part of it so i think it's actually easy to fish you know, to drag something below them and not get bit. Like you can literally just go down that with a top water, go down it with a swim bait, a jerk bait. And if you don't catch them, they're going to come out and follow it. And you're, they're going to show themselves. And there might be like a little turn in there or a point, but now nah, if you're on a, if you're on a smallmouth lake and it has cabbage, I mean, I'm speaking like New York is like prime for this, you know, Champlain, Oneida. It's not necessarily that there's going to be fish in every edge. But if you figure out that bite, it's your biggest smallmouth in the lake. That's how you win tournaments. Yeah, what I find one of the, like the biggest baits for me used to be in the past when I did it more was a spy bait. 
Mm-hmm. Like if you just got right Perfect. on that cabbage edge and you slowly rolled the spy bait, if you had any chunk rock on that hard edge, that's where your bites would come from. And you could literally pattern that up and down that edge where I fish it in Lake Erie. There's a couple rock piles and the, all the fish will literally sit on those four or five rock piles underneath that cabbage where it like flows with the current. Yeah. That's textbook. Interesting. Okay. Noted. Stop hating cabbage. Okay. Stop hating. Yeah, and the and then the other things too, like you'll find if you get up on top of it, it'll you, you'll get pockets where you have rock or like gravel bottom or like chunk rock, and they'll sit in those pockets as well, and you can catch them more on bottom style baits. Hmm. Okay. So with this post bond talk, I think we've covered you know almost all of our bases here and really gone in depth. But I think it's one thing we should touch on quick because it's completely different and it's unique is uh, ledge fishing. And I think that's something you're pretty dang good at Garrett. Um, when those fish are getting up to spawn, I think obviously TVA is a completely different beast, but after those fish are spawning, what are some like in same scenario we have, like what are, what are the first things you're going to look for? And obviously you have your fish that are going to remain in those creeks. Those fish that are going to remain on shallow cover and sure there's ledges in those creeks, but Talking main river stuff, is it just going to, you just need to go graph as much as you can, or is there a process to finding yeah. those um, ledges? Yeah. So when they first come out there, I mean, they're going to come out of the creek, right? Mm-hmm. So my first earliest ledges, if I'm not speaking about, you know, I'm going to scan around <laughs> in the creek, look at those ledges, whatever. But they're going to, for for a couple weeks after when they get out there, they're going to be where the creek channel meets the main river. Um you know, you're going to see on your graph, there's going to be a T, whatever. There's, it's going to make a nice, there's a nice ledge where the current's hitting the lip. Um, those are, you know, they're easy to find. And I'm just going to go and literally scan all of those. And usually once you start finding some fish on one of those, not saying they're going to be on the whole lake because the northern part of the lake may be cooler or warmer. Same with the southern because those places, you know, they're 100 miles long. But generally in that area where you find them, where the creek mouth hits the main river, uh, or the creek channel hits the main river channel, you can find them on a lot of those similar areas in there. So that's that's your first, you know, ledge that they're going to get into in the main river. And then after they stay there for a little bit, then they're just going to start kind of drifting down the main river. So then you got to actually scan, you know, the river bar. And you just got to get down it and go, go for miles and miles and miles until you find that school of fish. But when they first get out there, yeah, look for those intersections. They're just going to follow their creek channel out and stop right on the main river. And that's, you know, to me, that's the easiest because you, yeah. you have the best idea where they're going to be. And it's, you know, it only takes two or three minutes to look over that and, and see if they're down there. And honestly, yeah. like if you don't have or you're not comfortable with graphing, as long as you have like a GPS or an app on your phone where you can see where that is. I mean, there's something just pull up there and throw a crankbait across it where mm-hmm. the current's hitting, uh, you know, the top of the ledge on the main river side, just, just throw a deep crankbait on that or drag a football jig and you can find them like that. You don't have to scan and find these fish when they're out there. I mean, just pull up their fish for a little bit and move on if that's what you want to do. But so, that's the area they stop first every time. When they're real quick, Annie, cause I know you want to say something when they're coming out of the creeks, right? In these creeks, they swing both directions to the main river. Do you find that they're more on say the currents come this way? Do you if find they, that they're more on the ones that get the currents hitting them versus the one that has that current break? So, um, let me do a visual. So it'll be, uh, it, it's just hard to explain. 
So yeah, here's your <laughs> okay. I, now bad Mitchell. Yeah. So the, let's say I don't like, know what to do with my hands. Yeah. Okay. So the current's coming. <laughs> the current's coming. The current's coming Sorry. down. There's a channel right here, right? The creek channel is coming out, and you okay. have you have main river on both sides. It's going to be where the where the current's actually hitting into it. So the current's going to roll off of one, uh, or it's going to roll off of the ledge, go down to the creek channel, and then come back up on top of that ledge. Where it comes back up is where those fish are going to sit most of the time. They want to be in the most in the most current. Uh, my truck just shut off, actually. Uh, yeah, so wherever the current's hitting the most, which is it's kind of opposite, um, you know, traditional thinking. Traditionally, you want it to be like where there's a current eddy or something. The current's coming over and it's creating slack water on the TVA. You want to be where the current's absolutely pounding it. And now that was going to be my question: is how much does current dictate it? But Basically, from being like a stream fisherman, having a stream fisherman's background, when you have like that lip and that current's rolling over, however it's coming north or south, north to south or south to north, I would think one of those ledges might be just slightly higher than the other. And when that current comes across and comes up and hits, there, I think the main reason why those fish are going to be there is because when that current comes down and hits, it's still going to make an underwater eddy that you don't see. Yeah, and really tight. Those fish are there. Yeah. Yeah, because and then they, they all have, they have to do is just pop up a foot, feet, come back down. Yeah, because they have a soft pocket where that current is meeting the current that comes across the top of the water. So there's always surface level current and then there's underwater current. So it, it's coming down and it's coming up and it's hitting that surface current and you'll get that, you'll see like a pocket, probably like an eddy, almost if the current's really rolling and that's where the fish would be sitting. It's It's almost typical like river creek fishing, just in a bigger setting. And just you have to have the proper bottom composition for them to sit there as well. So if there's like shell or rock, I'm assuming I know nothing about ledge fishing. Yeah. I'm just going off of like my knowledge of current and how current functions when it rolls over things. So that would make sense as to why they're sitting there because it just creates an air pocket for them, a eddy pocket that's soft water. Yeah, and then typically, like you talk about bottom composition, if there's current rolling over something. Um, you know, typically the bottom is not going to be mud. It's going to be yeah. fairly, it's going to be a firm bottom, which everybody loves. And then, uh, a lot, a lot of shell beds will form in those areas because obviously they like to filter the water. Um, yeah. so they're going to be in an area where current's going to bring them nutrients and whatever they filter to filter. Hmm. Yeah. It's such a unique style of fishing. I absolutely, I love it, but yeah, I'm addicted to, to addicted. Yeah. yeah. I can't wait for our ledge episode we're going to do coming up and just nailing down. I think the most important part about it, and that's just straight up boat positioning and how to make your right cat, like how to make the right cast. Cause I think there's people that just approach it like from, I'm just going to cast there from wherever I'm positioned when that's, it's like I was watching today, a Justin Lucas video of him on Chickamauga last year and how it's like, it's gotta be this cast. If mm-hmm. it's not this cast, I'm not going to get bit. There's a hundred fish there. But if I'm, you know, completely a different angle, they're not going to eat. It was kind of crazy to think. I don't know. It, it's it's super unique. I love stuff like it's so frustrating when it's that's the case. But when when you figure it out, it's so satisfying. Yeah. But the, the thing is, is you figured this out in, in a different sense. Like it's the same thing when you fish St. Lawrence or any place with current. Fish and current aren't as keyed in on like what bait you're throwing or what color it is as the way it's moving through the water. That's how they determine if things are natural to them to where they want to eat them or if it's fake. Uh, like you can throw too heavy of a drop shot weight in the St. Lawrence when you're drifting 
and it'll just keep sticking to the bottom. They won't bite it. If you throw too light of a weight, it flies through the water. They don't bite it. If you throw the right weight, it feels like your bait is like moving with the water and you almost don't even feel it. That's when you get bites. And it's similar in ledge fishing. Your bait has to come through the right direction. It can't be too heavy, can't be too light. Um, but when all that comes together, that's what makes those fish think that that's an actual meal and that's how you get them to bite. And it's, it's, it is addicting, man. I love like trying to think about all those little things about how to present the bait um, because it's a way to, to definitely get a one up on someone that might've just fished that school 20 minutes ago and never got a bite. Yeah. Let me ask you this question when it comes to proper bait presentation on these ledges, because I am completely foreign to it. Is there a lot of bait fish that will show up on these ledges with these fish as well? Oh yeah, definitely. And not guys, I'm not a, I don't live in Alabama or anything. So like I haven't grown lead fishing, uh, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's definitely bait fish. Like to me, there are always, I don't want to say there will be always, but like if the bass are there, it doesn't necessarily mean the bait fish is there uh, or the same. Like you might find some ledges that are full of bait and there's no bass with them. But when you have bass there and you see bait in the area, it's almost guaranteed it's going to be on. Like it just, you know, once they see that shatter is running around, they're thinking it's time to feed and like that's the best thing you can see like especially with live sonar now if you're sitting there fishing and like you look up 100 yards and you see oh man here comes a school of bait like you're almost better off not casting letting that bait just continue its way down and then when it all meets start throwing in there and the feeding frenzy's on yeah so, generally like if you if they're together it's it's feeding time it, it almost it sounds like it almost wouldn't matter what direction you're casting from if the bait and bass are there together it's more particular if there's no bait around then for sure yeah when there's no bait yeah when when there's no bait your job you got to make you got to trick them when the bait's there it's easy and you know everybody can capitalize on them and that's when you get the the 20 boats on one school on a ledge Mm -hmm. (laughs) or 100 (laughs) yeah your bumper cars or bumper boats i should say really yeah it's funny those days like everyone's so worried about uh forward sonar and it's going to ruin our fisheries guys forget that when side imaging came out there was schools of bass that were half a mile long and now the fish are in you know eight to ten fish schools of big school like mother nature will adapt and protect itself and it's going to be the exact same with this it's always changing and you know we always have to change with it like those days of those giant schools like there might be some of that but the fish are just like, they're not going to go out there and just go and get slaughtered. They, they adapt and they change and it's, it's crazy to see. Mm-hmm. Sad. The, the good days are over. For, I know we missed out on that. Poor, well, poor, poor they're over. Over. 10 years they're just somewhere else. <laughs> they're just somewhere else. And then as soon as somebody finds it, everybody will follow the next new hot trend. And then your mega schools will show up again. More than yeah, likely. I mean, that whole concept uh, show in itself, you know, talking about how popular offshore has gotten and how the shallow bite is benefiting because of that. Mm-hmm. Like, directly to Garrett's point, I mean, these fish aren't, they're dumb, but they're not that dumb. Like, they know when they're getting a, a jig knocked on their forehead to say, hey, I probably shouldn't hang here very long. You know, they know when to move. <laughs> but, do they yeah. go shallower or do they go even deeper? Like, I believe fish go even deeper and we don't even realize it. So one of our local lakes, I caught a large mouth and 52 feet of water on a drop shot on the bottom. Thought it was a small mouth. That's deep for a large mouth. <laughs> yeah. Super deep. Yeah. I was like, are you lost? Like there ain't nothing here. <laughs> oh, there's another one. 
<laughs> yeah, it was a school of them. They were they're blowing up on small perch. It's kind of crazy. Um, but dude, I uh, we seriously appreciate you taking the time to come on here and drop some knowledge on us. <laughs> Thank uh, you for having me, guys. Yeah, you're always welcome. Always got to see here, but long what overdue. Did, what's, it is. It's been a long time. Do you guys what, want to uh, see that date one more time? Spro <laughs> epop eighty. Hashtag sponsor. I, I haven't seen the comment section, but I imagine it's going crazy. Want to see this date one more time? <laughs> yeah, there's Spro about a thousand eighty. <laughs> I would. I wish it was on Omnia. Otherwise, I'd I'd plug it or share screen it. But it's not on Omnia Fishing. But I will get some of those. And I know Andy's probably already bought a few. He's probably already has them in his house. So I, I wish I could. I think every one of my debit and credit cards got hacked while I was in Florida. So I what? am like, yeah, it was fun. It's probably from all those strip clubs you went to. Oh, yeah. I was in yeah. bed at like 8 o'clock every night. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that sucks. I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, it's fine. I'm sure fine. Omnia hates hearing that because of your weekly tackle order that you're not putting in. Oh, I put a tackle. Well, I did put one in recently, but yes, right. I, have one in, I have one that I've been slowly building on that I'm like, I need this. I need that. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Well, either way, Garrett, what, uh, what's coming up next for you, buddy? Yeah, I'm actually, this is kind of weird. I almost have like the summer off. Um, been doing a lot of guiding on Lake St. Clair. If you guys want to get out, get a hold of me. We've been crushing them up here, but um, I got some local tournaments. Um, the fish around the house, like some you know, bigger stake tournaments, seven, ten thousand dollar first place deals. And then I got my next tournament major tournament will be uh Bass Open on Oneida in July. And then my next one after that will be a Bass Open on Upper Bay in September. So aside from one week, I am home all the summer, which this will probably be the first summer since like twenty sixteen that that's happened. So I'm not uh I don't know. I it's it'll be nice. I mean I love the weather here in Michigan. And uh, it'll be nice to kind of like just be home and play around and learn new things. You know, you talked about the glide bait earlier. That's one thing on my list. I want to learn some of the some of the Japanese techniques. I'm going to have a pretty good opportunity here coming up to relax for once and just fish and have fun and try new things. So what you're saying is I'm going to come fishing. Yeah, you better get up here. All right, coming. I'll be there tomorrow. All right. Uh, Come like in two weeks. I'm busy. I'm busy. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, dude, uh, well, for folks tuning in and folks listening to this at a later date, uh, all Garrett's social medias is posted down in the show description. So you guys can go give him a follow and keep up. He puts out some pretty badass content. Uh, I'm a personal big fan of the hummingbird screenshots with his settings that he puts for, for each of them. Uh, Actually, it's really a great educational tool. I think those posts when people take them and actually look at the different, you know, contrast and all that jazz that you're using and why you're using it. Um, And that could be a whole show in itself of me asking you questions on those. But uh, for real, thank you for joining us tonight and hopefully get you back on here real soon, man. Yeah, we'll do it. I appreciate it, guys. As always, it's always fun. Heck yeah. All right, buddy. We will talk to you soon. We'll see you. All right. See you, Garrett. Oh, man. I always love having these. Like they're not straight up technology conversations, but like conversations that technology plays into. It's one of those things where I have to like, I get so consumed with electronics that I have to go out or make a few trips every now and then to like not bring the graphs and force myself to like make sure the fisherman's instincts are still being, you know, worked on, developed, all that jazz, make sure they're still there. I'm not. 
too busy staring at us. I, I think the post spawn is my favorite time to put the trolling motor on like 65 and just cover a ton of water. And then as soon as you find one, slow down, pick it apart. And then as soon as you wear that school apart, right back to 65. But it's very important to have an understanding of what the bottom contours of your lake looks like because 90% of the lake in the post spawn won't have fish or 95%. I think the majority of your success in the post spawn is done at ice out or when that grass is gone late fall and you could spend yeah. that time graphing. Yeah. Oh, and a lot of people absolutely. don't like to talk about that because people are doing it. And those are the people that are winning tournaments in the summer. Yeah. I mean, when I went out fun fishing before I really started guiding here a lot and I'm in the next two weeks, I'm probably going to get maybe two to four more days where I'm able to go out and put in a lot of time graphing i put probably almost 55 hours on my motor in the last four weeks because when i've been out fun fishing i've graphed for 90 percent of the time i'm on the water so i'm like yeah i know i can catch fish I'm, I'm not worried about that it's learning new spots and trying to understand where these fish are going to go in the summertime from the spawning flats because a contour map will only tell you so much. And usually by the time I get to a lot of these lakes that we fish in the summer, it's the summertime. So that was like one of the most important things I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And I probably put 300 waypoints on three of the lakes we fish a lot in the summer. So it's, um, it's going to be a good time. I can't wait for summer. Yeah, but I want to go catch a couple big hens off of bed. Yeah, that's coming next week. I I really think the smallies are going to be on bed by the end of the week. Other I me, mean, oh oh, for Great Lakes, you're talking. Yeah, and a lot of the inland lakes too. I bet you there's inland lakes lakes. that are already there. They're already yeah. on beds. I mean, oh. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's supposed to thunderstorm this weekend for my tournament. But if knowing New York, it'll change in like two hours. But Either way, if if it is any sort of clear or flat calm or some sort of deal, I will be catching them off bed some way or another this weekend. Um, either way, this weekend's going to be interesting because it's a lake that's pretty small, and they're probably going to be spawning. I don't think mm-hmm. the green ones will be spawning just yet. I'm going to go look to see if they are. But, I mean, it's one of those times of the year where the the random jabroni with a wacky rig fan casting shallow. Oh, has we'll catch like 105 of- inches. Yeah, they'll have the same chance to win as you. Now, granted, you know, if you put your time in and practice, like Friday, uh, I'm going to go up in the evening, try to spend a couple hours in the lake before it gets dark to, like, see if they are on beds, kind of get a feel for what's going on, maybe dot a few. Um, But beyond that, I mean, you know, if we're just talking, like, if it's going to be cloudy and overcast and it's hard to really get up shallow and go look for them, like, your jabroni with the wacky rig has just as good a chance of winning as you do, I mean, less of a chance in a five fish that we're at now, but like a few years ago, our local trail in our cape was, was a three fish tournament. Like, it's hard to win those suckers. Like, three yeah, fish. Especially if you get three 19 and a half thrown a wacky rig. Like, you got all day to catch three fish. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But either way, it's a uh, regardless, it's a good, good group of guys. And I'm always excited to see them and fish against them. And, you always joking with some people when you see on the water, like Forrest, I try to bother him as much as possible if I see him on the water in tournament days. Um, Me too. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We don't bother each other, actually. It's uh, it's just fun. 
Um, either way, uh, you know, kayak tournament coming up this weekend. A lot of kayak videos coming to the Be The Fish YouTube channel. Actually, episode three of Chasing Hardware was posted last night. That is down in the show description if people want to go check it out. I and the that. tournament video is coming next Monday night. So people can look forward to that, which we have more tournament video. We have a bunch of tournament videos coming up on that channel. And uh, Andy's going to be plugging away at his channel over there, full of fishing. If uh, I ever you... get time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what would be great? You know, what I, was, I was talking to Lamb last night, and I was like, I, if I could have one superpower ever, it would be I wouldn't have to ever sleep. You know how much more pro- productive and how much more of your life you get? Yeah. that That's the one that's probably like the greatest thing about the fishing life, right? Like every morning. What, you have I no get, sleep? Well, yeah. But every morning I'm up at like 5.15 or 5 or 4.30. I get to see a sunrise and I go to bed after the sun sets. I get a full day. It's just mm-hmm. I get up, I get on the water, I come home, I grab my daughter, I spend time with my daughter, then my wife because I don't get to see them ever because on our my days off are usually days that they're working. Mm. So it, it, it takes a lot there. And then by the time nine o'clock comes around, I'm ready to fall asleep. So Dude, like, I'm, I'm the same way with that, except I can't sleep. I can't sleep unless it's like past 11 o'clock. My body's just trained that way, unfortunately, but it's also trained where it wakes me up at six. But dude, yeah. if I wake up past seven 30 or like say eight o'clock, Oh, I'm my like, day's ruined. I'm miserable. Dude, I'm pissed. Yeah. Like yeah. I just, Whereas like land, like my fiance, she'll sleep in till 1030. And I'm like, are you insane? Like you just wasted half your day where I'm up as early as I can. You know, obviously if like, if I'm up late at night, you want to actually sleep, but yeah, we can go on a whole tangent about that. But either way, what do you got coming up? Any, any tournaments? You said you're fishing at like what? Two, three tournaments this year. Yeah. I, um, well, I got to register us for that cash in Derby. Oh, right. uh, that's one big thing. I got a ghost coming in. That I'm going to install my boat on Friday. Finally going to have spot lock. So I'm pretty mm. pumped about that. I know. I've been trying to get an Ultrex for two years. And, you know. Um, two years? Order. Yeah. I've, yeah, I've been trying to get one for two years. When I bought my boat, it was the start of COVID. And they've been back stock since oh, then. So it's actually three years. And when they come into stock, I'm not in a position to buy one. Because something came up. So I had to wait. And then they go back ordered. So. Something was, came up as in your massive Omnia fishing order. <laughs> always, always, always needing tackle or gas. And uh-huh. now that gas is 480 a gallon, that really puts a damper on everything. Good gosh. Um, yeah, I uh, put gas in my boat yesterday, and it has a 41-gallon tank, and I put 30 gallons in, and I almost cried. So, yeah. Yikes. The Michael Jordan face going at the gas. Oh, no. It's getting oh. over a hundred dollars. I'm like, what? Oh, I was like, last year it cost me a hundred dollars to fill it from E to full. I'm like, this sucks. Oh man. So, yeah, so now that you're getting a ghost, can I put the four tracks in the Hobie? That'd be wild. Wouldn't it be? Honestly, I put after the today, my lap and just like use my <laughs> I'll be surprised if my four tracks makes it like another like 20 hours on the water after today i think i rammed it into every tree and stump that there was because the water was so low where we were fishing smooth but 
Yeah, you should have saw my transducer was like almost on top of my trolling motor. I hit a stump so hard. I can see the bottom, but why does it say I'm in 45 feet? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I was like, it's only three foot here. And it says I'm in 24 and a half. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> so I, I pulled it up and I was like, watch this. And I just like slapped it back into position. I was like, We're good. <laughs> good gosh. So, but yeah, That's I got right. two more guide trips until the ghost gets here. And then I got a weekend packed. Um, I unfortunately had a few days get canceled or rescheduled later in the summer. So I had a few days open up on the next two weeks, but, um, yeah, that'd be really hard. Like, <laughs> um, but I don't even know if I'm going to push to book them at this point. Cause I'm very transparent. The fishing's tough right now. I went from like really, really good to extremely tough in three days. Could do inland lakes, could do spawn classes. Yeah, but I'm gonna have to charge more because it's cost me two hundred dollars to fill my truck and boat. What I want to go out there, like yeah, it's people not people are willing to pay it. People are willing to pay it. I mean, that is true. So we'll see. Money, money, money. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll throw that out there. Like, <laughs> if anybody wants to go inland lake spawn snatching, let's go. <laughs> Heck yeah. yeah. So, well, dude, anything to tell the folks before we sign off here? Uh, Lake Chickamauga, or I keep saying Chickamauga, Lake Fork preview show, fantasy fishing oh, show. Thursday. This Thursday. Thursday. going to be a lot of fun. Deacon's being a loser and, you know, going to fish a Thursday nighter instead of hanging out with us. But Andy, Bart, and I will be on for fantasy fishing. So if you guys want to tune in Thursday night, win some prizes. I might be late to that, like I said. I and he's going to be a loser, and is going to. I might be late. I might be late. So yeah, back. it's just it's been a really really rough start to 2022 for the full household. If people so, only knew. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are troopers though, because you guys it, are still the happiest people I think I've met. So when you have it, coffee, it, when you have your coffee, you're the happiest person. I've met. Hey, like if I'm coffeeless, watch out. Like I am a. Bull in the china shop. Let's not. Let's. He is a wreck. <laughs> all, kidding, all kidding aside, I am always a bull in the china shop. This is true. Openly admit that. So, um, if there's something breakable around, I will break it. <laughs> Without coffee, you're just like that drunk guy in the street that's stumbling everywhere. But you get a sip of caffeine, and you're like oh still God. a crackhead, but like you're just a little bit more dialed. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh. uh, <laughs> Don't get me started right now, boy. <laughs> Oil. <laughs> all right folks we appreciate everyone tuning in we'll see you guys on thursday night for the lake fork fantasy fishing preview show as always thank you guys for tuning in we'll see you then well that was an awesome show hope you guys enjoyed it if you can and your app allows it please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more, which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you liked some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, 
this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Sears Sanger fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all, and we'll see y'all on the next one.